Welcome to the True Face Podcast, where we have conversations about what we can learn from what's going on in our lives. My name's Robbie Engel, and I'll be your guide as we learn how to increase trust and experience grace. Most of us get stuck in our relationships with God and others, and we end up wondering, is this really all there is to it? True Face equips you to experience deeper relationships with God and others, equipping a growing group of men and women with a toolbox of teaching and experiences to help you become more fully known, fully loved, and fully alive. And on this episode of the True Face podcast, I am with a new friend, Rock Hobbs. Rock is also known by some of you as Papa Rock. But Warren Rock Hobbs, he is the founder of Transformation Ministries, started in 2009. It's in its 13th year. They do training and equipping and prayer ministry and counseling for the churches, predominantly in the Birmingham area. And you can check out their offerings at trministry.org. But uh, Rock was born in Philadelphia, attended Lee University, graduated from Southern Illinois, Emory Riddle uh, with a aerosp- in aerospace science. He was ordained. This guy's been all over the place. Uh, he's got 21 years uh, as a lieutenant colonel in the Air, po- Air Force as a fighter pilot. And I don't know about y'all, but all the fighter pilots, if you've been, been able to have the blessing of meeting some, have a little bit of a screw loose. There's something unique about fighter pilots. Is that appropriate, Rock? Yeah, you could say that you got to be kind of wild and crazy to strap into a single seat, single engine fighter jet. I think as an eight Enneagram, I it, whenever I hear somebody was a fighter pilot, I immediately love them. There's something about that that I'm like, oh, he's crazy, somewhat yeah. like me. So uh, you were over 15 years of instructor pilot training. You've been a pastor, a teacher, a fighter pilot, and Today, we're going to hone in more on uh, something that's pretty special to you, which is that you've been married to Vicky for 28 years. you got four kids. Um, and yeah, dude, I since we talked on the phone uh, probably six months ago and got to know each other deeply, when I was meeting you and hearing your story, I was so impacted by your testimony and your example. I thought about it a half a dozen times in the coming month or two. And so that's when I reached out and I was like, Rock, dude, I keep thinking about just the example of faithfulness and perseverance and what love looks like that you learned and modeled through your your journey with Vicky through challenging times. And I brought it up in a couple times with different friends of mine who are in tough marriage slogs. I, I was quoting and misquoting you so many times. I was like, all right, I got to call Rock back and see if he can just get on the podcast so I can hear it again and get it right. And so, dude, I'm so excited to continue our friendship, our new friendship, and to invite you onto this uh, True Face podcast to share you with my other friends. Welcome to the True Face podcast, man. How you doing? I'm great, and I am so glad to be on the True True Face podcast. Um, I'm a True Face fan all the way through. I don't know how many... Uh, books the cure I've used and given away for um for my counseling and everything and this this is a great opportunity for me I know I felt the same way when we first talked on the phone it kind of connected right off the bat and just one old guy that's kind of just now I'm just praying that as you as a young leader coming up and being in charge of everything just uh, I just want the Lord to bless you and I'm gonna do whatever I can to to help true face get to where they need to be or want to be or where the Lord wants them to be I guess Thanks, man. But thanks for having me. So you started Transformational Ministries 13 years ago. Give us a, a high level of that and how you came across TrueFace, because y'all have been partners for a, a lot of years. Uh, um, well, when I uh, left the airlines in 2005, to, I was a pilot uh, captain at United, and God called me to to um, to go in the ministry eventually. But um, when I started out, with this ministry, I, I went to some, I, I saw it on, I can't remember if I saw it on uh, something online or whatever it was, I ended up going to a short presentation about the cure. And I think it's about when maybe the cure was just coming out fresh. And I bought the little cards, the three by five card set that has all the different things in it and, and all that. And I had the first, one of the first versions where there were snakes on the cover and oh, yeah. some people didn't like that. And I, so, but the Lord just, I, when I read that book, I said, that is exactly 
who happened to me. I was in that room of good intentions for so long. And then all of a sudden the Lord had to pull me into that room of grace and changed everything in my life. Mm. And I went, people will understand this. I, this is teachable. I can, I can teach people about this. And so I just adopted it into part of my story when I'm ministering to people and eventually into our school. It's a major part of our first part of our school is we taught, we teach the book, the cure. So, um, it's just been a wonderful thing. I recommend every Christian should read the, the cure. That's, I mean, it's a great book, but that's how we got into it. And, um, just always wanted to, um, uh, be in, be involved with, uh, we did one of the great seminars and did a, a retreat with some guys one time a couple of years ago. And, um, just was kind of funny that the Lord picked us back up and got us connected here. And, uh, we'll just see where that one goes. That's, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, we, we connected cause you were buying so many for, for your school. Cause as you invite these people to go through a discipleship initiative in school through transformational right. ministries, you bought so many that I was like, who is rock? That's a cool yeah. name. And we're only a few hours away, so we need to come hang. But w when we connected and your, your story again, it is just such an encouragement to me, man, like your faithfulness and perseverance. So I'd love for you to share with a, a few more of us, um, your journey, give us some context. Um, and, and then really around the, what you right. learned and what God taught you through the perseverance of what marriage and love looks like. Okay. Well, you pretty much talked about my schooling and all that. I will, I will make one editorial note that it's 38 years, not 28 years that we've been married. My oh, wife wow. Right, that one, right. But, um, <laughs> I think when my original bio was way back when, but, um, when I, uh, got saved when I was young, Baptist church, loved the Lord, wanted to be a missionary pilot doctor. And, um, as I went through school, the doctor part dropped out cause I wasn't very smart. And the, the missionary part dropped out when I heard about jets and air force and civil air patrol and all that. And I just got caught up in the air force thing, wanted to go to the air force Academy and, uh, did not get a nomination to go there, but did get a scholarship for ROTC. And that's what started me down the Air Force path. But I had planned all along just to do my time and I wanted to go into ministry. Mm. And in the process, I, I started in way back in the 69, 68, 69, 70, when the um, charismatic movement was just starting to really blow up in the U.S. And um, I, I was ready to go full up in ministry, married a missionary from the Philippines. And um, she was back here trying to get a visa and ended up we, we, it just didn't work out. And uh, when I got a divorce after about six, seven years, um, it really turned me, I got mad at God basically. Mm. And I said, well, now I can't be in ministry because I'm divorced and nobody's going to think that I have any credibility. And so I just trying to turn up, you know, I didn't reject God. I didn't say that Jesus wasn't my Lord and savior. I just stopped thinking about it. I just turned my mind into being a fighter pilot and being the best that I could be. And I jumped into that room of good intentions and I began to perform. I began to just be the best, had to be number one. And um, in the process of doing that, just really lit my hair on fire, so to speak, what we say in the Air Force and 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 went to the world. And I, I just was wild. If you talk to Air Force people, they're going to go rock. He was, a, he was an animal. He was a crazy guy and all that, you know. And uh, that kind of led into going into um, the airlines when I retired. And uh, in that process, drinking became a problem for me, not when I was in high school, a teenager and all that. It was when I was after 30 that hmm. it all started. Hmm. And um, I really had to work at it to become an alcoholic. But I, I did get good at that, too. So uh, in the process of that, it, it eventually affected me in the airlines when I was uh, flying for United. And it never affected my work, but it did affect me. And I got in trouble with it. And um, I ended up having to go to uh, rehab or face losing my job. Mm. And in, in this buildup, if anybody that's listening, if you've struggled with an addiction, uh, either yourself or the spouse that has an addiction, it takes a lot of years of crumbling of the, the spouse putting up with, trying to cover for, helping, trying to keep the marriage together. And it just seems it always goes in one direction. It always goes down. It always gets worse. And that's what was happening to me. So when I finally got in trouble, my wife who had been saying, you have a problem. You need to address it. We're going to lose everything. You know, you're going to lose your job and all of the insecurity that I was bringing her. It came true. 
And when she, when I came home that day that I was in trouble saying, Hey, I, I'm, I'm really going to, I'm going to have to go to rehab. I may lose my job. She just blew up and she was so angry at me. She just looked at me and said, I, I hate you for this. And I'm going to divorce you. I'm taking the kids and my mom. And when you come back from rehab, we're going to be gone. So here I go going from being a top gun in the air force to being an instructor pilot at United and doing very well um, in job type thing, but in relationship stuff, I wasn't doing very well. And all along in my own head, I thought I was a very loving, giving father, husband. I thought, I, you know, I, I changed diapers. I, I went grocery shopping. I cooked. I mean, I did a lot of things. My wife kept saying, but we don't have a relationship. We don't have a relationship. I go, what are you talking about? And I just couldn't understand it because, you know, I grew up what the Lord ended up showing me was that I grew up with parents that we, I never saw my parents fight, mm. never saw them. the home was calm, but the Lord reminded me and said, but you also never saw your dad or mom hold hands. Mm. You never saw your mom or dad kiss. You never heard your dad say to your mom that he loved her in front of you. And you definitely never heard him say to you that he loved you. And so my whole thing of what love was, was work your butt off, provide a beautiful house, provide a, a, a secure income and keep the peace. No conflict. Don't fight. Don't argue. So when Vicky, who's Greek, wants to have these emotional things with me and talk to me about relationships, I would just say, ah, I'm going to go in the other room and I would try to walk away and she'd follow me around. You know? mm. But I mean, there was constantly, I thought I had to just take it. I just had to be, you know, just don't cause, don't rock the boat so to speak. And I think a lot of men in their marriages don't know what to do. So what they do is nothing. They mm. just, they get stuck. They're just, Oh, I just, I just don't want her to leave me. So when I was going off to rehab, I had this um, fear and the knowledge that for the first time in all of our marriage, just about 12 years into a marriage, she was actually going to leave me, take my, my her mother-in-law, my mother-in-law, her mom was living in our house at the same, same time. And we had three kids there. And um, she, when I came home, they were going to be gone. Mm. And if anybody's ever been in an addiction issue or been in, at a rehab, as soon as you start thinking about going to rehab, all of a sudden your kids are the most important thing in the world. That's all you ever think about. You didn't think about them for the 12 years leading up, but you think about them now. And, uh, and I was doing the same thing. But I was just afraid. And I'll just say this. I um, I didn't know what was going to happen. I was really, really scared as I was in rehab. It was a residential, just a regular non-Christian 12-step recovery place in the mountains of, of Colorado in Estes Park. So that was kind of nice. But um, in the, on day 10 of that stay, God came to my room and um, laid me out on the floor, knocked me out of my chair and my desk and onto the floor. And he ministered to me and talked to me and did a lot of things. And I won't need to go into all that. But he basically said, <clears throat> Rock, at the very end, he said, I need to give you a new heart because your heart has hardened, Rock, because of the bruises and the hurts of life. Mm. And I need you to do something for me, but you need to have a, a new heart. And so I felt God touch my heart. I felt the hand of God touch my heart. And I've never been the same since that moment. So as I came out of rehab and I came home, my wife was still there. Now, the whole time I'm in rehab, they're having family weekends, kids are coming, and my wife won't answer the phone. They never came. I was always alone. I, so I just assumed they left and were wow. gone, and I was going to be facing a divorce. So when I got home, she was, she was there. The car was there. And as I went into the house... Um, I saw that she was there and I thought, oh, thank God, maybe she's calmed down and it'll be okay. And she came to me with, with daggers in her eyes and in her mouth. And she put her finger in my chest and said, I know you thought I was going to be gone. I hate your guts. I can't believe you've done this to us. I'm divorcing you. But mom got sick while you were away and she can't get out of the bed and we can't get the bed through the door. So I'm divorcing you and I'm leaving you as soon as mom's well enough to get up and leave. And then walked, stormed away. And I went, oh, welcome home, Rock. This is not going to be good. So I went in my little office and I just started kind of crying before the Lord because I've had this dramatic impact by God in my life. Mm. 
Okay. And I, I knew for me, I was, I was done drinking. I knew that God was calling me back to where I'd been all those years before. And it was real, but the problem is uh, nobody else believed that. And um, so I just told the Lord, I said, I don't know what, I, I don't know what to do. I don't, she hates me. I, what am I going to do? So I just let her go. And the Lord just said one thing he said, rock, I need to teach you how to love her unconditionally. And I went, I love her unconditionally. He says, no, you don't. Hmm. You love her very conditionally. And um, that's when he sh- kind of showed me about my parents and how I thought I was loving, but it was not really loving. It wasn't a relational love. Hmm. And, um, and so he said, what I want you to do, and he, and he gave me a vision. And he said, Rock, remember those uh, World War II black and white movies you love to watch with the uh, subs chasing the ships during, in the channels and stuff? And um, I said, yeah, he says, remember that scene where the sub commander comes on deck and he goes up scope and the scope goes up and he turns his hat around. And he puts the periscope handles down and he starts looking through the through the periscope. And he's, he's kind of the next scene you see the uh, on the horizon and you can see what the periscope's looking. And he finally sees a ship and he puts the periscope crosshairs on that ship and he leans down to the ensign next to him. He says, hey, give him two pings arranging." And the little ensign comes back, and then this is where you always hear in the sub things that sonar, right? Oh, oh, and then the kid goes, 1500 meters off the starboard bow, sir. And I went, yeah, Roger, loads tubes one and two. Oh, and off they go, and they hit the, hit the, hit the ship, they sink it, everybody in the sub. And then the Lord stopped and said, Rock, loving your wife unconditionally is sending out those pings of love with no expectation of a pong coming back. Hmm. You just keep sending the pings no matter what comes back. Hmm. Um, and it could be a depth charger. <laughs> but uh, I said, well, I'll try. Hmm. And so I, that was right about the time that the book Love Dare was coming out. And so I grabbed that book and I said, well, first 40 days, I'll do Love Dare. Yep. And so I kind of went through the Love Dare book and started doing it. And I was just trying to work on on loving her. And one of the things the Lord said was, is she doesn't believe a word you say. So don't tell her, don't talk to her about it. Just show her, just do it. And that's a hard thing for a performance motivated type guy to do things and not get the recognition or the accolades of, Hey, great job. Wonderful. Give me a trophy or whatever it might be. So I started doing that. I was going to a meeting in AA every single day. And in the process of doing that, I got, that became my home group. And they were, they were my only source of any kind of words of affirmation or anything at home. She would just put her finger in my chest. I hate you. I'm Mm. divorcing you. Don't talk to me. Don't touch me. Don't look at me. And she was stuck there. God anchored her there because her mom was getting sicker and sicker and sicker. Mm. And so the way the story went as God was teaching me this, and it was very hard to just leave little stickies. I started doing things God was teaching me um, that I had to do things above and beyond what normal activity would be. Um, And so I I was just doing all these things and not really getting anything for it. But on the, on the um, six month anniversary of my sobriety, I got my six month coin. And in that meeting, I was an early bird guy. So at six o'clock in the morning, every day, I did a six o'clock meeting every day for five years. Wow. And this was in the first six months, I got the coin and they all cheered me, said, way to go. You're doing good, Rock. Keep going. So I'm driving home, kind of pumped up. And I go and I see this florist. And I said, surely if I show my wife this six month coin and I buy this big, expensive, elaborate rose bouquet thing, she's got to believe that I've changed. I'm different. And she's not going to stay mad at me. And so I went in and I bought this thing and fill up my whole back seat. And I got home and I put it on the counter at the edge of the, the island in the kitchen. So when you came down the steps, it's the first thing you could see. And I, I sat over in the little table next to the, the eating nook and waiting for my wife to come down the steps and see these flowers and come talk to me. And she came down the steps and got to the landing and looked at those flowers and then took a look, looked at me, went back to those flowers. And she came down those steps to the floor, put one sweep with her arm and swept the f- flowers into a trash can, which is an open face trash can at the end of the island. But the whole arrangement was so big, it didn't go in the trash. It just hit and crashed on the floor, glass, flowers everywhere. 
She came around that and stuck her finger in my chest and said, Rock, that doesn't do one thing for me. I hate you for what you've done. I'm divorcing you. And as soon as mom's well, I'm leaving. And she walked out. Oh my God. And for six months, when she would say those things, it was like getting shot with little arrows. And I'd get a little shot in the arm, and then in the chest, and the little ones. And, and I was like, okay, I gotta be like John Wayne. I got this thing called John Wayneism. Just break off the arrow and keep on fighting because he never dies. He always wins. He always beats the Indians or whatever. So I'm just, I'm just taking it, just taking it. But that morning, I didn't deserve that one. And it was like a spear that went right into my heart. Mm. And when she left, I went into my room, my little office, and I just started weeping before the Lord. I said, man, I give up. I can't do it. You're right. I don't know how to do unconditional love. And it's not working. She hates me. I just need to give her what she wants. And um, and I went, I remember saying, I give up. I quit. Hmm. And I and I went upstairs. She had left with the kids to go somewhere. And I pulled out all my suitcases and I started packing because I said to myself at that point, six months into this, that I was going to just move out, give her the divorce, give her whatever she wanted, not start over a second time, a failure as a husband. And I'm just sitting in my bed, bedroom, throwing stuff into my bag. And I mean, I'm crying, snot's coming out of my nose, tears all over my face. I'm just like a kid that's been whooped. Nobody appreciates what I'm doing. And I'm, you know, I'm just packing, put my uniforms in there. And I got about halfway through that. And I hear this little ding. I don't know if I heard an audible ding or if it was just in my head, but I paused. And then I heard the Holy Spirit say, so rock. Oh, he just said one word, really. He just said, persevere. Mm. I heard persevere. I hate that P word, persevere. And I put my foot up on the, on the bed railing where the mats in the frame. And I remember opening my hands and looking up at the ceiling at the fan and talking to it as if that was God going, are you kidding me? What do you think I've been doing for the last six months? I'm persevering. I've been loving unconditionally. It's not working. She hates me more now than she did before. It's worse now than before. It's not getting better. Not even a little. It's getting worse. Hmm. And then I heard it again. Persevere. And then the Lord, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, so, Rock, you just don't get it yet. You haven't figured it out yet. But don't give up. Persevere. And there was something about the Lord's quieting my spirit at that point that I, I was like a little kid again. With, oh, okay. And mm. I took all my stuff out and hung it all back up and put it away. And she never even knew till a few years later that, I mean, I was inches away from walking out that door. And with my pride, if I had left, I probably wouldn't be here right now. I probably would still be doing the, the in the world or whatever. But I stayed and I began to do the exact keep up doing everything I was going to do. So we fast forwarded to one year, one year of my wife not saying one civil word to me. I mean, the best that she could ever say to me was get milk. We need diapers. Don't you're always going to those meetings. You love them more than you love me. Blah, blah, blah. And then she would tell me she hates me and don't look at me. Don't touch me. It was, it was up to this 365 days, it was worse the 365th day than it ever was. So it wasn't getting better. It was oh getting worse. Gosh. And, and I was so frustrated. So I went to my meeting and I got my one-year coin. And now they give a metal coin. It's not plastic. It's like metal. One year, man. And they're letting me talk and share my story. And everyone's giving me affirmation. I'm so excited. And in my life, personally, everything with me and the Lord is just on fire. I, we, I am growing in him. He is teaching me. He's making up for lost time. Everything in my job, I didn't, I didn't lose my job. And I was back to flying. And everything was back except for one thing. My marriage was going straight down the toilet. Mm. And, I'm, and I kept saying, God, why? What, what, is, what am I doing wrong? What? And it just says, persevere, persevere. So... I'm driving home on that day 365 from getting my coin. And I go by that forest. And I went, oh, man, surely this is a one year coin. And I'd get some flowers for her. I'm a giver of flowers. I love flowers. That's an expression for me. Most people don't get it. But that's me saying, I love you. I love you. I love you. Anyway, I'm, I'm thinking if I get some more flowers, you know, now maybe she'll get it. That thought lasted about three seconds. 
And then I said, there's no way I'm putting my heart back out on my sleeve and letting her stomp all over it like she did last time. I'm just not saying anything. Mm. I just went home, never said a word. Mm. So three days later, day 368, I came home from my meeting. And for the first time, my wife was sitting in the kitchen drinking coffee and reading the paper. Because most of the time, I'm done by 7 o'clock. I'm home. She's not even up yet with the kids. Kids were small, little. And um, this time she's sitting up and she's up and she's reading the paper. And I went, hmm, this is different. But I didn't say anything. I went over to the coffee pot, got a cup of coffee, came by the kitchen table, grabbed the sports page out from the pile that she was reading, sat at the other end of the table and started reading the paper. And here we were, 368 days, not even acknowledging each other's presence, not having any conversation, just living and existing together until her mom got better. And she was going to leave me and I'm reading the paper and I hear a rustling in the paper. And then all of a sudden I hear her voice in a very calm way say, so rock, how come you don't tell me what's going on at AA and what God's doing in your life? And I remember just kind of pulling the paper down away from my face a little bit and looking over at her and I, and I kept come my head looked at it. Are you talking to me? Cause I didn't recognize that voice. And, and, and she kind of looked at me. And I put the paper down and I went over and I sat right next to her and I looked her right in the eye. I said, honey, because God told me to keep my mouth shut that you wouldn't believe anything. I would tell you because I lied to you so many times and hurt you so much in the past. He said, just to show you that I loved you. And for the first time in 368 days, she looked me right in the eye and she smiled. Mm. She said, I, I believe you. I believe you. You could start talking to me. And you mark that time right there is the beginning of God totally restoring my marriage and my love for her. She's 38 years we're going and she's my best friend. She's, she's still so hot. I walk by her in the kitchen to have to touch her. Oh, baby, you're still hot. I mean, she's just my best friend, but she wasn't at that year 12, but God changed my heart and he taught me how to love my wife unconditionally. And in that perseverance, he changed her heart. And the promise he told me was, if you come into order with me, even though you've pushed your wife out of order, my promise is, if you stay in order with me, I'll send my spirit, and my spirit will pull your wife back under you in order with me, you, and her, mm-hmm. and then the children to follow. And that's exactly what God did. All four of my children, God eventually pulled all back uh, into order. So, I mean, unconditional love is a hard topic for men to understand, especially younger men, uh, because they're not getting taught the basics and the foundational things of what God's love is and who God the Father is. And you can't love somebody like the Father loves you until you experience the love of the Father, and then you can become a good son. Jack Frost said all the time, he kept saying, you'll never be a good father till first you're a son. So if we're a son to Abba Father, and he pours out his, his agape love on daily, you're just filling up your well of love with his presence and his love, then that's what's going to overflow out. So when it's hard to love, when feelings are hurt, when the human side of you is, is busted, you can still love back because it's not your love. It's sharing God's love. It's reflecting God's character. And you have to be intentional about that. You have to want to learn to do that. You have to seek it. Mm. And discipleship and teaching men to do that, the new um, program that you guys are putting out for the nine-month program for discipleship, uh, outstanding. And that's, that's the, I think people have to get healed, and then they can get into the disciple and receive that and start moving forward. Because Peter says, in, in 2 Peter, he said that, you know, you need to be increasing in your knowledge of the character of who God is and of Jesus Christ, it has to always be growing. If you don't keep growing, it gets stagnated. It, it, you get flatlined, what I teach in school. Mm. And um, that flatlined is you're not really doing anything wrong, but you really stopped having a relationship with God. You're just mm. so busy with kids and jobs and mm-hmm. everything else. So that's the story of the unconditional love for me. And oh it was goodness. the longest year of my life, but it was the best year of my life because God totally changed me. That's that, the key. That level of perseverance 
and trusting and relying on God's love to be love when you don't have anything in, in your tank for her. How, how has, has that year of soul training really, um, uh, uh, affected other areas of your life and your faith journey over the past couple of decades? Well, I think it was the beginning. Well, first of all, I had that encounter with God mm-hmm. that I actually heard the voice of God and he was in my room and I was slain in the spirit and that I, not everybody gets to have that, but I had that. And then the training that I went through with my wife on unconditional love at that point is where God began to just really teach me about the father's heart Mm. and understanding the father's heart and father's love. And that idea of agape love of understanding Bob Mumford talks about agape love all the time. And that is what I think influenced me the most as a counselor, as a pastor, um, even as a teacher in that having that compassion, the empathy that God has for us. And because my life was pretty, in those, in those middle years where I was not walking with the Lord, I went, I was like Peter. I was either all in or all out. And so when I'm all out, I'm pretty decadent. I was pretty, I did some pretty bad things. Hmm. And so when God touched my heart and he started telling me how much he loved me, I struggled with understanding how could he love me? Hmm. I've, I've went too far. I've gone, done too many things. And I struggled to understand how could, how could, I don't know if I believe that he really loves me. Hmm. And he had to overcome that. And part of, part of that was the persevering through that year where it took me out of it and put him totally into it in order to make it. I, and, and, that, and then seeing the answer, though, to see her change and see how in the next year everything was totally different solidified that for me, that that's what I need to help men with. That's what I need to teach couples about. And um, so it's a, it's a critical part of the inner healing thing we teach in our school on our part one for inner healing. I, um, I love how our father loves us so much as his sons and daughters that he knows exactly what we need when we need it for his purposes to reveal more of his love to us and, and how driven high achiever you are that in this season, uh, the powerlessness that was a gift to you because he loves you and all the work and and what you heard, which dictated the direction of your life. I was, I was taking notes that at first it was, it was that you need a new heart that you heard. And then, um, this realization and understanding that you did not know how to love her unconditionally, that you heard that from her and the, the story of, um, the setting out pings, you know, and, and an expectation that loving unconditionally is setting out pings, ping and not hearing anything back and being okay with that. No expectation that until we're able and ready to do that, then we're not loving unconditionally because there's an expectation of in return. And then, um, the principle that, uh, she's not going to believe a word you say that you're just going to need to do it. Um, for a long time, which I, I know our father loves us like that for a long time with no response, um, by just how he loves us. And then, and, and then the, the learning to persevere, um, and just the fruit and the richness and the awareness of the depth of his unconditional love through that perseverance. Um, and, and then when you needed it, uh, don't give up. You haven't figured it out yet. Like that moment at six months, where it was like you were done and he's and he just said don't give up what was like your ability to trust god you had zero in the tank after 6 months of this um you had zero in the tank and you were able to trust that subtle whisper of the voice of god of hey don't give up you still haven't figured it out yet was that just a a gift of of his love to, for you to have that clarity, but also the ability to trust that voice and enter into another six plus months of warfare with, with sending out pings and not getting anything back. How, what was that when you look back at that, to, to be able to trust that? So that's a good question. Um, I think the foundations of my, of my growing up early on 
in the church put the word of God in me. I knew the word. And so there was a strong foundation of that. Um, so I knew the truths, but I just didn't know how to relationally respond necessarily with Father God. Although I um, I had been um, filled with the Spirit and had, a, had an amazing encounter with the Holy Spirit and all that before all this stuff started happening. Um, but I just didn't understand relationships really. And, and But I knew one thing, that God was real, because what happened to me in that room was real. And people thought I was crazy. People thought I was making it up. And I said, you can think whatever you want to think. I know what happened. And um, and then when he, when he told me not to give up and persevere, um, I just, there was just something inside of me that, that just needed to hear some encouragement to just keep going. Hmm. I mean, I knew I needed to not give up, but... I was so hurt by what she did to me with the flower thing yeah. that I, I kind of took all the my air out of my sail. Yeah. And the Holy Spirit kind of filled that back up. I can't really tell you that I had any great inspirational thoughts at that point. I was just trying to be obedient. Um, I know I asked the Lord a lot, why is obedience so ding-dang important in your plan of life for us? And um, his response was, well, what's the only thing in the entire universe that I don't control? And I thought about it for a second, and I realized it's my free will. Mm. So, and when I'm obedient, the one thing that I can give God that He doesn't control is my free will, my obedience. Yeah. And that stuck with me. And He gave me a vision, and this isn't from Scripture or anything. He just gave me a vision, but it came out of Revelation chapter four when I was asking about being obedient. And he said, remember when John was talking about in chapter four that he got to go to heaven and he saw the angels all up, millions of angels, and they're all praising, holy, 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 worthy is the lamb. And then he starts describing God and the flames and the fire and then eyes everywhere and everything. And then there's you know, a lion of Judah. Right? Oh, and then he stopped and he said, Barak, when you're obedient, all those angels stop. And before me, they cry out your name. Rock, and it makes me smile. It's like the sweet fragrance to the nostrils of the Lord, according to the scripture. And at that point, that vision's never left me, mm. that I just want to please the Lord by being obedient, given the one thing that he doesn't already have, so to speak. I also heard in that something that I don't think I fully believe to that degree, that um, we say things like, his, like, love is the longing of our hearts. We long for to to experience a depth of love and intimacy, uh, we long for these things that we we read about in the New Testament that is made possible of peace and freedom, and intimacy of His love and the fruit of the Spirit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, and and we long for these things. And I I think my lack of trust and and lack of obedience sometimes comes from uh, my actions say I really don't believe that. I don't believe that he can offer me enough. And when you were just saying that, like that you were at the end, all the wind was taken out of your sail. You were deflated. You had nothing left. At that point, I want to believe God is enough, like really enough, like experientially, tangibly enough, like really enough that I'm done. I don't need anything else. I don't need any additional wind in my sails. When yours was down, the fact where where you just said, well, he was just, he he provided that love and the wind in my sails I needed at six months. Ah, oh, God, how do I more deeply trust that to, uh, to receive what I long for, but I don't, I don't go to that. I, I go to the quick fixes, the alternative things, even if it's cloaked in spirituality to find it. And I, I'm just reminded by you and your story that he has it all. He has enough and everything we're looking for and following him is, is that we get to go to that. Well, we, we know that he has springs of living water and, and instead of broken cisterns that we go to, and I just go back to cisterns over and over that, man, I'm encouraged. I want, I, you he, know, he's got a well. For, to have um, intimacy and relationship, first in the vertical, and then you can let it go horizontal. It, the pillars that hold up intimacy in relationship, there's two. It's trust and a willingness to be vulnerable. And when you don't have trust, you're never going to have intimacy. If you're not willing to be vulnerable, that means you're, you really don't trust either because you're not willing to share the deepest parts. Right. Mm. So 
Um, what I've learned is, is that we will not, and scientifically we know this, a person will not do anything they don't believe. Yep. They may, they may cover it up. They may do it for a little while, but left to their own devices, they're only going to do what they believe. So if a person like myself or anybody is struggling to trust somebody or trust God or to, to, um, have a problem with uh, a willingness to be vulnerable or any of those things, then the problem is there's got to be an ungodly belief that's holding that thing in place. And so instead of trying to fix the behavioral outcome and get rid of that, I always go to the heart of the matter and say, what is the lie Mm. that I've been believing that's holding me captive to this inability to trust or this inability to be vulnerable? And if you can denounce that lie and then encounter the Lord and say, what is the truth, God, that you want me to believe? And he tells you and you start declaring that things in your in your world shift the whole in the fourth dimension of the spiritual realm. Things shift in your perspective and it changes things and very powerful belief system is powerful. Amen. Uh, Speaking about a pivot in belief system. For Vicky, in hindsight, and processing that moment with her, what happened between day 367 and 368 that led to that for her? She will just say that for some reason on that three six day 368, she finally believed after I left to go to the meeting for that day, she finally believed that I was actually changing, that I was changing, that I wasn't putting on the fake show or you know, because um, normally everybody can put on a fake on a mask, as you guys would call it, and do that for a while. But Dr. Hagstrom always teaches that you can only do that for like 50, like 180 days. And then the mask starts wearing off and the real you starts coming out. Yeah. So it's somewhere in there. And I tell people all the time, your your ability to see that may take three months. It may take two years and hers, it took 368 days. Man. And then I, I truly believe it was the Holy Spirit that just changed her heart. He promised me that I didn't have to change and convince her that he would. And that's what I had to trust in the whole time. That I focused on the Lord, not on my wife and the relationship. I chose, I got to this why in the road where I could either choose to believe the facts of the circumstances. My wife was telling me she hated my guts and she's leaving me. Or I could choose to believe the truth of God's word and what he was telling me in my spirit and my heart. And I chose that because hmm. the other one was just going to lead to death or in, in lack of relationship. And I, I went with the believe him. God, for the men and women listening to this right now, um, thank you uh, for, for, for those still in it to hear this, but also to um, it's so interesting because we can't, those words you just said without the spirit are just like, whatever, you know, like he's got to, he's got to move our hearts to then be able to receive those words, which is his grace. Like we can't even hear what you just said. And my, my hope and prayer is that for the men and women who are in these relationships, um, to hear what the spirit hopes them to hear through your story, to apply to their own marriages and relationships. And even if that's sending a lot of pings, which we can't even do without his help. I mean, his grace is just littered throughout this story. And, and that is the hope in our lives. And I've been a part of kind of a protection group for a friend who's in in a, in a struggling marriage. And sometimes they work and sometimes they don't work. And God's journey of, of redemption and reconciliation and sending out pings, you could, she could have divorced you at month. At day 368, she could have said, I'm done and that's enough. And and it's interesting because our father loves you and knows your journey enough that your first marriage didn't work out and he didn't answer those prayers. And we say, God, why? Like you you haven't been faithful because I'm sure during that one you're you were sending up prayers and humility and brokenness. And then the second one, um, he did. And and God, you know the plans you have for us, but man, we pray for uh, love and the ability to love unconditionally to the, to our spouses, which we cannot do. And we need you to do that. And even, even the desire to do that, you give us as a gift of grace. Gosh. 
when you're in that waiting period, the key question individually that you have to ask the Lord is, what is it that you're trying to do in me while I'm waiting for you to do the work in the relationship? Say that again. And what is it that you're willing, that you need to do in me, Lord, and I'm open to change me from the inside out while I'm waiting for you to change the relationship or to change her heart or touch her heart or his heart, whoever, whichever way you're going. And when you folks take the focus off the problem and put the focus on the healer, that enables him to change the things he needs to do within you. You, you get a willingness to be vulnerable and you begin to trust God that he's going to do it. And that opens up intimacy in the vertical between you and the father. And that in the spiritual realm opens up a whole lot of power and God's grace and mercy and everything else into the relationship. Covenant relationship for God is very powerful, very critical. He cares about covenant relationship. I've been in a season of of longing for more intimacy in my experience with God. And, you know, when we say like, how I'm, how are you do how's your heart lately? How are you doing spiritually? Like when so there's seasons where I feel alive and seasons when I feel a little bit more dry and to me, the best words that I know in my own life to describe those seasons are, um, or is how frequently my mind wanders to his love during the day, how, how frequently I think of him, I'm aware of his love, uh, that I pray. And usually those, so when I'm dry, I don't, my mind doesn't wander to God as much during the day when I'm feeling more alive and connected and intimate in relationship with him. There's a, there's a, a frequency of that. That's just so rich. And usually that's correlated to the patterns of my life, of my rhythms, my spiritual rhythms of, of connecting and prioritizing him in the morning and spend time in prayer. I think of him more throughout the day. This past season, I've been great on my patterns, but I felt pretty dry. And so it's, um, it's been an interesting season of waiting for me and longing for something he has for me personally um, that he hasn't given me yet. And that question you just asked was so timely of, of, that then that I'm I need to spend more time just in silence and going God what is it your hope for me uh, what do you hope for my heart to teach me that right. this period of waiting is giving me an opportunity to ask you and um, so yeah thank you for that you know a lot of people and I grew up in the church that said you know when we go into the desert that's the enemies attacking us and all that but you know Jesus went to the desert. To be with the father oh yeah and the enemy came to him when he was with the after being with the father so the dry season we all go through those and the key part is is that it's not that you've done something wrong and god's disappointed with you the key is is that he's saying now just don't let any of these other distractions keep you from just let's just you and me walk in the garden let's just us spend some yeah. 15 minutes in the morning every morning and talk Paul said, pray without ceasing. And I always said, how the heck can somebody pray without ceasing? That's, I mean, I can't, I have trouble getting on my knees and doing it for an hour, yeah. you know, and, and, and he meant, no, be aware of my presence continually and talk to me always and focus on me, not on the situation. Yeah. And, um, Amen. it helps. So, uh, Rock, this was so fun. And I will quote you better as I talk to <laughs> men and women, uh, in, in, Trick, tricky scenarios where they need um, to hear and be reminded of some of these these truths, that they have a new heart, um, to love unconditionally, like a ping without any return, that that our spouses and a lot of shouldn't believe what we say, that we just we just have to do it and to persevere. Um, and that in that perseverance, there's something else that he has to teach us. And so I want to, I want you to leave us with any words as we wrap up and close, but for everybody listening, I just want to say thanks for supporting this ministry. Um, I hit three years in this role and just a, a little while ago and the gratitude of God answering so many prayers. And a lot of those prayers were answered by some of you coming in and supporting this ministry, which is about 65% funded through donors. Uh, 65 to 75%, depending on a year, funded through donors. Um, a lot of you are Wayfinders, which is the tribe of people given 50 or 100 bucks a month um, to support this ministry, to be able to continue to build tools to help churches and individuals and organizations experience deeper relationships with God and others uh, without having to be driven by revenue, but allowing us to be positioned to bless and be a part of 
of kingdom impact um, with freedom because of your partnership. So thank you for being a part of that. Rock, thank you for your partnership. And wh- what do you have to leave us as a True Face tribe as we wrap up? I'll just pray a blessing over anybody that might be listening, but there's somebody listening right now that um, you are struggling to believe that God can really change your spouse, that there's that you just you you want to believe it, but you just don't believe it. And um, I just want to pray a prayer for that group of people because that's where I was, that's where my wife was in our own ways. And uh, the truth of the matter is God's heart and his pure desire is for your marriage to come back together again, for your marriage to be restored, to be healed. So, Father, right now, I just release your blessing of covenant relationship and deep agape love into every person listening to this. And I bless every spouse that's listening that struggled so hard, trying so hard to keep a marriage together, even though their spouse is not seemingly changing or they're they're not seemingly getting it, that, that you would just focus on the Father and trust and know that God will change that person if you persevere, if you just hold on. And um, I caveat that, that if there's physical violence or hurting or something, you need to leave and get out. But if it's if it's just he's not the way you want him to be or she's not the way you want her to be, persevere. Lord, bless them with a spirit of perseverance. And with your agape, fill up their heart, fill them up on a daily basis, and allow that love to overflow out of them where their well is dry. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Rock. Thanks, y'all. Have a good one. All right, man. We'll see you. Bye.